Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. In this podcast, we'll be having discussions around the secrets which attract lasting, healthy, fulfilling relationships, creating a healthy mindset, and what women should know and understand about men. Introducing your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts, relationship expert, trainer, speaker, and best-selling author of The Cupid's Bow Technique. Lynn's mission is to have a positive impact in reducing divorce, domestic violence, and suicide. Welcome to the Hearts Entwine podcast. This is your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts. And today I've got a lovely guest. His name is Nathan Segal. Good morning, or is it uh, good afternoon for you there, Nathan? Whereabouts in the world are you? Um, it is morning. It, I'm in a little town called Buzgarias, uh, north of Puerto Vallarta in Mexico. It's 10 o'clock in the morning now. Excellent. Well, for me here in sunny Spain, it's it's literally coming up to uh, just quarter past five in the afternoon. So <laughs> quite a big time difference. You've got your day ahead and, and mine's almost <laughs> finished. Yeah, it's a funny thing. Um, I, I wind up speaking to people from all over the world and, and this is common. Uh, a lot of my colleagues live in Australia. So whatever time it is for me where I am, it's usually like 17 hours ahead tomorrow. So it's like Sunday for me, it's Monday for them. <laughs> good, good, goodness me. It's, it's a bit wild at times, yeah. Well, in today's podcast episode, um, we were talking a little bit off air about um, the subject of how to talk to strangers. In other words, people you've never met before, but maybe you, you might be, be attracted to and, and want to get to know. And, and what's the best way to initiate that? And you were telling me a little bit about how you got... I suppose, uh, started in this industry and a little bit about um, how you realized you've got a talent for doing this. Yeah, I mean, it was really funny. The way that it came about, it had to do with a, a client that I, I have, a colleague rather, out of, um, where is he, Portugal. And he was telling me about a book by Jordan Belfort. And Jordan Belfort is a guy that they did a movie about called The, um, the Wolf of Wall Street. He wrote another book called The Way of the Wolf. And what happened when I read it is I started having all these epiphanies. And one of them in the book, like Jordan was talking about being a natural born salesman, you could sell to anybody. And at some point, there was one section in the book, he's talking about Forrest Gump. And that's when all these epiphanies happened. And I was just sitting there and I remembered that I had my own Forrest Gump moment many, many years ago. And then I also uh, realized that my natural ability is to connect with people. And also in, in those epiphanies was a memory to do with um, the pickup artists from a number of years ago. If you are if you were ever a part of any of that stuff that was going on, there was a guy by the name of Neil Strauss who wrote a book called The Game. Yes, <clears throat> I remember. Yeah, yeah. and they were all all sorts of characters in the book. And one guy who called himself mystery, who liked to go out into different venues wearing a top hat um, or a 10 gallon hat, I think is what they call it, uh, for picking up women. That was his, his trademark. Now, one of the things that mystery did is he did a video on YouTube where they talked about these 11 techniques that the pickup artists do. And much to my amazement, when I watched it, I realized I was doing eight of them naturally. I never took training for it, never went to school for it. I just knew how to do it. But I've been like this since I was a kid. 
in terms of connecting with people, talking with people, it's a natural ability. And so it was just rather astonishing to me at the time. And so there's just putting these things together and realizing, wait a second, my natural ability is to be a connector. That's what I'm good at. And so that's, that's how things came about. And I formed a group on Facebook, Facebook page, revamped my blog. And now I've been sharing everything I know about how to connect with people, how to talk to them, how to create conversations, all that. And I, I'm assuming you, that, you know, when it comes to some of these guys that portraying themselves as pickup artists, you don't necessarily agree with everything that they're advising within their uh, own guidelines, let's say. <laughs> no, I, well, you see, a, a number of what they're doing, a number of things that they're doing is they're using scripts and lines, and some of them use magic tricks and stuff like that. The, the trouble is that's good for a while, but what happens when you run out of material? What do you do then? And I don't use magic tricks, and I don't use the pickup lines. I mean, I do, like if I wanted to meet a woman in a restaurant or I wouldn't go to a bar, that's not my kind of place. I don't enjoy being there. I don't enjoy the loud music and so on. I like places where it's relatively quiet like a coffee shop, uh, some sort of networking meeting. Those are the places where I'd want to meet somebody. And so it gives me a, a much better environment to be in. But no, I don't use scripts. Uh, I do something entirely different. So if you was advised, it, it, do um, your, I suppose, clients or people that are seeking your advice, are, are they both sexes or is it mainly men searching for this sort of information? Who do you actually work with, Nathan? You know, it's it's a combination of both, but in some of the articles that I've been writing on my, my Facebook uh, page, I've been looking at the demographics of it and seeing something roughly around from 30 to 50 in age, when 80% of the, the people who are reading my stuff are women. And that doesn't surprise me. I mean, I've looked at the demographics for different groups like spiritual practice, for example, which I was a part of. And I would have to say that 80% of the people in those groups were women. Uh, and there was a broader age range, but it, it, very similar thing to do with the, uh, what I've been working with, which is I've decided to focus on business relationships, but even so, again, most of the people are women. And I get that, you know, because from my own personal research, and I actually explain this, um, you know, to to my audience and um, when I'm delivering at live events, you know, when women ask me, well, you know, what about educating men? You know, shouldn't men be learning this stuff? And, and yes, they should. Yeah. But men think, behave and, you know, um, talk differently to women. And yes, they, quite often they want to solve problems themselves. They're not usually the, the or generally the the sex that look for self-help or you know uh, it's it's not necessarily natural for men to share uh, whereas it is for women so that's why I think you know it is mostly women that you see in these sorts of groups because we do like to share we do like to talk and we do want you know to find out about things through looking for self-help and and don't have a problem with that whereas men as I say are, are generally speaking that they're more autonomous and want to you know go go into the cave and, and sort the problem out for themselves rather than <laughs> share with their friends it's true i mean there, there is a lot of that there's the the macho element that also comes into play and appearing weak if one is asking for help and 
But that's, to, in my opinion, straight across the board, especially when you get into, into counseling circles. I remember reading a book, uh, I believe it was by James Hollis, and he said, you know, of a thousand men who are hurting, only one will ask for help. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know how true that is. There's no way I can prove or disprove it. I mean, I've met many men over the years who, who do ask for help and do look for solutions in the way that I do. But I think it's just because of my mindset and who I hang out with. Those are the people I attract. Mm-hmm. I don't attract people who are closed mentally. Uh, usually not. Very, very rarely. So I, I can't really speak to the demographics of it because I really don't know what they are. Yeah. Not that way, at least. Mm. And it's, it could be a real problem and a shame, you know, if that is the truth, because when you think about it, you know, um, probably massively the suicide rates in men in general could be probably brought down if it was seen as being more socially acceptable for them to reach out for help. That could very well be true. I mean, one of the most important things I learned about suicide, and, and perhaps this is diverging a bit, <clears throat> it came from one of my the spiritual teachers I follow. His name is Adya Shanti. And somebody stood up in, the, in front of the audience uh, one day in one of his talks and basically talked about thinking about committing suicide. And Adya, as we call him, his response was, oh, that's great, that's wonderful. And then he said to him, so tell me, what is it in you that wants to die? And what he did is he made a very important and crucial distinction because a lot of people who are suffering from suicide think that they have to kill the body in order to, to end the pain. But the reality is that it's an aspect of their life that isn't working anymore, and that's what needs to die, not the whole person. But more often than not, they make the mistake and think, no, I have to kill myself in order to be free of this, when it's actually not true. Oh, I and love that. I, yeah. Yeah, it, it was huge. I mean, it, like really huge, because it would change the, the, the conversation completely. It's like, oh, you want to commit suicide? Okay, tell me, what is it in you that wants to die? Wow. That, and that, that changes everything. It's a huge shift. And it would. Yeah. I'm, I'm quite sure that if you ask that of anybody who is suicidal, it would, they'd have to stop and think, hmm, what do you mean? Yeah, it's very, it, very it, powerful, that is. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for sharing that because, um, you know, I absolutely 100% agree. That, and quite often if people are talking about it, then that, that tells me that a part of them does want to live. Otherwise, you wouldn't be speaking now about contemplating suicide. Yeah. There's a bigger part of you that wants to survive. So and that's why you're here. Speaking yeah. to me now. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. So getting back to um, how to talk to strangers or people that you've never been introduced to before that you might want to get to know, um, how do you advise people and guide people around initially what to do around that scenario, Nathan? Well, there are a few things. Um, one of them I'm going to address uh, before I get into the the bulk of how I would do it, but I want to address a major problem that a lot of people have, which is called social anxiety. And people who get really uncomfortable anytime they think about going into a social gathering, they freeze up, they get, they have all the symptoms of anxiety. And I wrote an article about this, which is on my, on my page, but, but the idea behind it is that 
the people who are suffering from anxiety in this way, the reason that they're suffering is they're focused on themselves. Mm. They're thinking about what if I sound stupid? Are my teeth crooked? Uh, did I tie my tie right? Uh, what if they judge me for my shoes? They're old and they're scuffed. Um, <clears throat> what if I say the right thing, uh, or sorry, the wrong thing? What if I do something that makes myself look stupid? So these are all things where people are focused inwardly and they're thinking about themselves. And of course, they're creating this heightened state of fear. And so the moment they walk into a social situation, they think they're being judged and all this stuff. And that, that may be happening, but not in the way that they're necessarily thinking. It's because of the inward focus mm. that they lose touch in a sense, with reality. Because in a lot of these situations, nobody really cares. No. Unless you engage them in a way that is of interest to them. Otherwise, you're just another person in the room. So what I would say to the people who suffer from social anxiety, stop focusing on yourself. And what you need to do is you need to direct your attention outward to other people. In other words, you have to pay attention to the people that you're with. So that goes into like the next phase of like, well, how would I connect with somebody? Well, a lot of people at some of these social events, like networking events, they just run up and hand out their business card. Hey, I'm Bill, here's my card. And that's a huge mistake. It's a great way to turn people off. So what I recommend instead is that let's say you go to a networking meeting and you see some people you'd like to connect with. Well, before you even think of talking to them, Get close to wherever they are and start listening to the conversation. Find out what they're talking about. If it's even of interest to you. If it's not, you move on, you find a different group of people talking. Whether it's just two people or a small group, it doesn't matter. But what you do is you hang back and you listen. And, that, and what you're looking for is common ground. You're looking for information. You're looking for common points of interest. And if you, for example, you've got a group, they're talking about solar energy, and that's something you really like. And you listen for a couple of minutes, and they start talking about production of solar panels. And one guy there has some interesting information, you really like it. <clears throat> and so after a while, you might step up and say, hi, I've been listening to your discussion, and, and you pointing who, uh, to whoever it is, you're saying something really interesting about solar panels. Can you tell me more? So what you've done is you've made statements about what they're talking about and you follow it up with a question. And the question is based on what they're talking about. So it's an excellent icebreaker. It's a great way to open the door and there's a really good chance they'll respond to you in a positive way because you're asking something that contributes to the conversation. And then what happens is that you listen very carefully to what they're saying. And if you notice that questions pop up, you'd like to know more, you flip it back to them in the form of another question. So what you're doing is a technique called active listening. Hmm. And active listening is where you're not in a conversation with the idea, so, oh, I'm thinking about my next point so I can throw this in. That's, that's a wrong approach. Uh, but if you're listening with the intention of gathering information in the conversation so you can ask more questions and contribute. I mean, initially, you would be doing it mostly asking questions and to get more comfortable with the conversation. And later, you could start contributing things that you know. 
this is a really great way of, of breaking the ice, getting into a conversation. Well, let's say you're in a coffee shop and you see, if you're a man, you see a woman or if you're gay, whatever, but it doesn't matter. But you see someone who you find attractive and you'd really like to talk to that person. So let's say you're a man, you're in a, in a, in a coffee shop and you spot a woman that you'd really like to talk to, you find her attractive, you'd like to know more. Again, you don't just run in and say, hi, my name's Nathan, how are you, blah, 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 you come here off and blah, and all <laughs> of that is, you know, really bad way to go. I, again, what you do is you start observing, and you start looking, it's like, what is she wearing? Is she wearing a jacket? What type of clothing is she wearing? Like, for example, is she dressed casually? Is she in a business suit? Is she in athletic wear, is she wearing runners, is she wearing sandals, uh, uh, bare feet, uh, is she wearing hoops, dangly earrings, um, um, and you're just looking for different things. Is she reading a book? Can you see the title? Is she working on a computer? What, it, what type of computer? If she's writing or doing something, can you see what she's writing about? So you're looking for information to create an icebreaker. So let's say that the woman you're talking to is writing something on an iPad and you've been thinking, geez, you know, I'd like to buy one of those, but I don't know anything about it. So a way of breaking the ice, creating conversation is to walk up to the woman in question and say, hey, I see you've been writing on an iPad and I've been thinking about buying one myself. Tell me, what do you like about it the most? And it's that simple. So. Whenever you're in a situation like that, you're looking for real world information. You're looking for ways to create a conversation. And again, it's with the networking thing, you listen really carefully to what, what the woman has to say to you. You yes. feed it back in the form of a question. I agree, you know, because it's lovely actually to, to actually get from somebody else, whether they're male or female, uh, the impression that they're fully present and interested in what you've got to say rather than, like you said before, just waiting for an opportunity to butt in with their, you know, alternative opinion. <laughs> yeah, which is what many people do, and I've been guilty of that myself. We all have, but, yeah. But I was on a podcast with a, a colleague of mine, and we would only go into the podcast with maybe three questions, usually two which would be at the very beginning, we'd introduce the podcast, we would introduce our guest. And then because I was doing the intros all the time, I'd throw a question out based on the person's biography as a way of getting things started. And then after that, we would both practice active listening. And that's how we would conduct the entire interview. And then when we got to the end, we would just finish it up with uh, one question, maybe two, and that was it. But that's how we did it, and, and it worked really, really well. Excellent. I love this information because it's. I think it's a subject we've not actually touched on in any of our previous episodes, so this is really interesting for me. So then yeah. if you're uh, getting the vibes that she's still not actively that interested, you know, after that first initial question, what would be your tactic then? Uh, that would be to do with breaking rapport. And, but sometimes on, saying honestly, you know, you know, we've been talking for a while, but I, 
I get the impression that you're not all that interested in what I have to say. See what happens. I mean, you may be reading the person wrong. They might actually, in fact, be interested in you, but they may be sitting or moving in a way that you're not used to, because we all have different ways of being in rapport with someone else. And it's entirely possible you're reading it wrong. Mm. And the only way that you're going to find out is to make a statement like that and, and a question, of course. And that's how you find out. And otherwise you're guessing, you don't know. But if you are in a situation where you know it's not working and you realize that, that you actually don't care for the person that you're with, and that, that happened to me once again in, in a Starbucks. I remember I was sitting with this one woman and I realized that I really didn't like her very much. And I didn't like the conversation. I was saying, well, how do I engage and disengage? And then I remembered there are these techniques of, out of neuro-linguistic programming for doing that. So I did, I did two things to, to break the conversation. In the NLP, they use a technique uh, called a pattern interrupt yeah. or a technique of breaking rapport. Mm. And what I did at that moment is I stood up. I said, be back in a minute. Just got to use the loo. And so I took off to the washroom. When I came back, she was gone. <laughs> Honest to God, it was really that simple. I mean, normally I don't do stuff like that, but every now and then when I realize that it's, it's not working, um, I, will not, I will sometimes slowly disengage from the conversation by not saying too much and then just move away. It, it just depends, but that, that was a more direct one because it was really, really clear, really obvious that it wasn't working and I didn't want to be there. And so that's what I did. So it's one one way that you can use to disengage or or to just simply tell the truth, which is, you know, I've been talking with you for a while and it's really clear to me that this conversation isn't working. And I, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm going to have to leave. And I've actually done that. I did that a while ago where I was in a group of people, like I wanted to create a conversational Spanish evening. And I stated very clearly in my ad that I wanted intermediate to advanced speakers. Well, I got this one woman who called herself an intermediate, but really wasn't. And then two other beginners showed up. And, uh, and I was really annoyed. And I sat there for a while and I thought, I don't like this. I'm not happy with this. And at one point I said, tengo que irme, which means I have to go. None of them understood what I said. So I said in English, I said, I'm sorry, but I'm going to go. And they're going, why? And I said, well, because I was really specific in my ad. I stated I wanted intermediate to advanced speakers. You guys aren't like that. I mean, I've got you two over here. You can barely even say a sentence. You, mm. This is not what I'm wanting. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to spend my evening like this. And I left. So it's, it was honest and it was direct. And a lot of people have trouble with this kind of honesty. And it comes to, into a, another realm, which is to do with projection, which is if I say what I really think is going to, uh, I'm going to hurt its feelings. And that's actually not true. People who say that kind of thing are projecting. And what they're really afraid of is the negative feedback they're going to get from the person they say that to. Mm. You see, they're afraid of the lashback and a feeling of worried of being hurt. 
So it comes down to being honest. And a lot of people have trouble with that. Yeah, and then in being honest, you don't have to be rude, do you? I mean, there's a difference between being honest and just saying it as it is without it sounding mean or rude to the other person or offensive. Yeah, you don't have to be rude. Being honest is one thing. Being rude is another thing. It, and I mean, I remember um, the situation dating a number of years ago, and it was like in like in 15 minutes of meeting this woman, it was a non-starter and and we parted company a short time later, but it was because in the conversation, and it, I suddenly realized I'd actually recognized this woman from before. I actually knew her from a class, but she didn't recognize me. But in the conversation, I had recently organized my life in such a way that would allow me the opportunity to travel and work on the road. And I was really looking forward to it. And then I meet this woman and she says to me, I work for the post office. And she said, I can't travel because of my work. And she's, and then she said to me, so if I can't travel, neither can you. Ooh. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm oh. not joking. Wow. She literally said that to me. And I just thought, and I don't know if you're familiar with the cartoon character by the name of Snagglepuss. You ever heard of him? Yeah, I've heard of him, yeah. Yeah, okay. So Snagglepuss would have all these expressions like exit stage left. Yes. And that's what went through my mind immediately. I thought of Snaggle Post and I thought of exit stage left. And I disengaged a short time later and it's like, ah, this is a non-starter. And and it was it was fine. I mean, I never saw her again. That was okay, but it was just like, wow, what a deal breaker. Massively, yeah. <laughs> yeah, massively. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a bit about, because uh, we were talking on air about how you met your girlfriend. I thought that was quite an interesting story. Uh, that was actually pretty funny. I, I put together an ad for the Plenty of Fish dating site, but there were a few things that I did about it which were not the norm. I mean, in, in years past, I would just put up a profile, right? And I would write down all these things. But this time around, I wanted to do something different. I know about copywriting, which is a technique of advertising. And I went into the archives of a copywriter by the name of Gary Halbert. He died a few years ago. But I knew that he'd written this really great sales letter for a businessman who wanted to meet a woman uh, with an ad and a photo and all this. And so I copied the style and wrote an ad very similar to that. And then I posted it on Facebook. And at one point, I add a link to a video. And so the way I met my girlfriend is actually, I, I must have accidentally deleted the video and she clicked on the link and it didn't work. And she was thoroughly annoyed and uh, contacted me and, you know, gave me the gears for the, this misleading profile. <laughs> and then we wound up getting into a conversation and, and one thing led to another. And at one point, I think we were conversing on, on WhatsApp or WhatsApp, however you pronounce it. And at one point she said to me, why are you so grumpy? And I said, because I hate texting. I much prefer video because then I can see you and we can actually have a real conversation. I said, how would you feel about joining me on video? And much to my amazement, she said, yes. And so I forget exactly how we set it up, but we wound up in a conversation on video. And I remember looking at her and thinking, oh, yeah, she looks more or less like her picture. Not like some of those dating profiles where somebody puts up a picture and it's of them like 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. 
but but this was for real and then we just started talking by video and and it was rather interesting because after a while it became really obvious that we liked each other and that there was an interest there and i remember thinking nah this can't be real it's video there's no way of knowing for sure if this is real and after about a week of talking she said to me i want to meet you and she lived in uh, guadalajara which is like four hours away and she just hopped a jet and and came down to meet me which really amazed me and when we actually met each other it became really obvious that there was something there and it was obvious really really fast and it was just really quite amazing but the video is what really made the difference for me well for both of us and you and mentioned about uh, uh her her saying that or that you saying that you turned on the charm because you know, she felt, I suppose, how much she was into her or, or whatever that was. Tell me a little bit about that. That is true, actually. We both did it. Uh, she is very fond of saying to me, you bewitched me. And I've heard her say that dozens of times in the time that we we're together. And I said, yeah, but you did the same thing. And I know that I can do it. It's something that I watched in my father my father was very skilled in that. He could like charm a bird off his perch. <laughs> and, and I had another friend, a former girlfriend said to me, you know, you're just like your dad. You do exactly the same thing. And so I obviously learned it, but I'm not entirely sure how I did it. But a lot of it does have to do with focused attention on the other person that you're with. That's a big part of it. Like being really interested, genuinely interested. There are all sorts of things that happen, like leaning in and really listening attentively. And um, yeah, and I, I can honestly say that I felt that, you know, when in the, the first few days of, of meeting and speaking with Paul, my other half, you know, I, I quite often say similar things to him that, you know, um, you must have put a love potion in my tea because it literally <laughs> did feel like he swept me off my feet, you know, but I don't, I don't yeah. know how that happened because I wasn't actually at the time didn't think I was open for that. <laughs> there's a there's a lot that goes into it and part of it has to do with gaining rapport. Now, on the very simplest level, one of the ways of gaining rapport is by a technique called mirroring. Yes. So if you're sitting in front of somebody and they cross their legs, you cross your legs the same mm -hmm. way. Yeah. If they touch their chin, you touch your chin. Now, one of the things I noticed about how I've been with people is I do that naturally. I don't think about it. I just do it. But I don't always mirror exactly. Uh, I mirror close, but not exactly. If you do it too long, you do it too, too much in a way that's exactly mirroring the person. It, it can annoy the other person because they realize that you're using a technique. But if you're doing it in a way that's more relaxed and you're not mirroring exactly, but close then that's enough. So the mirroring is one very important technique. And another technique is speech patterns, listening to how the person speaks. I was reading a really cool story about one of the founders of neurolinguistic programming, uh, Richard Bandler. And he went into um, an asylum. And there was this one guy in the asylum who was catatonic and nobody could communicate with him. So Richard Bandler took it on as a really interesting challenge to see if he could get into a rapport with the guy. So what he did is he sat with this guy on a couch 
like 20 minutes. And what he did is he decided to try and gain rapport by breathing. And so what he did is he matched the guy's breathing patterns and just followed him like that for a long time. And then after a while, he would start to, to vary his breathing patterns to either breathe slower or faster. And what was happening is uh, that the guy started to follow him, matching him in terms of the breathing patterns. And at that point, Bandler knew that he had rapport. And after a while, he did something called a pattern interrupt, and he broke rapport. And he turned to the guy suddenly and said, hey, you got a cigarette? And the guy jumped off the couch and goes, hey, don't do that, and shocked him out of his catatonic state. And I thought that was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> and it's a, just a really great example of a rapport. So, yeah, it's an interesting subject. I think if anybody has not actually uh, looked into uh, neuro-linguistic programming, which is shortened down to NLP for those listeners that are not familiar with, with it, it's quite an interesting topic and subject to get yeah. into, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I really like it because like one of the things that, uh, that I was looking into and that I've been practicing is how to create confidence on demand, right? And so I knew of one technique which uh, uses NLP again, a technique in NLP called anchoring. Yes. And I'm not going to describe that now, but, is, but it had to do with layering of past experiences to create this thing to do with confidence. And that's mm. what I was teaching to a number of people. But then I discovered a better way, which was uh, taught by one of my colleagues. Uh, he's an NLP master coach. Uh, his name is Rick Schnabel. He's out of Australia. And his technique for confidence is unbelievably simple and really powerful. And he said that the first thing you want to do is you just want to scan your, your body, your mind, your body. Like, how are you feeling in this moment? Uh, how would you rate your level of confidence uh, from 1 to 10? And let's say you're not feeling particularly great. You rate your confidence as a 3. But the way to change your confidence level is really simple. You raise your sternum up about 2 inches. And you have to lift your head up. You have to lift your shoulders up with it. And you raise your sternum. And it changes your mood in seconds. And you feel better. You'll breathe better. You'll feel better. And if you then do a scan, you're, you might be feeling that your confidence level is at a seven all of a sudden. Really fast, really powerful, really easy. I've used it several times. It works like a dream. And it's a really great way to get to like develop confidence for yourself when you really need it the most. Like if you're going into a job interview or if you're doing public speaking. So, yeah, really simple, really powerful. Yeah, all around physiology. I, I've literally taught a similar technique. You know, if, cool. if somebody says they're just feeling a bit low, you know, and yeah. and it's usually because the physiology is they've got that hunch back, they're looking down, uh, yep. you know, and, and obviously they've got the negative thoughts that match the physiology of the posture. So I'm, I'm just saying, well, just try sitting up straight, roll your shoulders back, lift your chest up high, put your chin up. Now, how do you feel? Yeah. It's totally different. Yeah, I mean, just sitting here doing it while sitting with you, I mean, I notice I feel better, even though I wasn't intending to do that for myself. But it, uh, it's, a, it's a demonstration of something very powerful, very simple. 
I wish I'd known that years ago. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, so you see simple tips and tricks that can really snap people instantly, you know, out of uh, a, a negative state into a positive state. Well, thank you so much, Nathan. Um, I'm going to have to wrap up this episode, but it would be lovely to invite you on again and, and have another conversation and dig it a bit deeper around some other topics and subjects. Um, for yeah, the benefit sure. of the listeners, it'd be great if you could share some contact information for them. Yeah, sure. Right now, the the best things to do, there, there are a couple of things. There's, I've got a Facebook group, which I just started. And if you look it up, it's called the Real Connections Network. And so on in that group, I'm sharing everything that I know. And so it's all for free. And just uh, and asking questions, creating dialogue. Another way for people to get in contact with me is by email. And my email address is visualartist49 at gmail.com. Brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'll make sure that information as well as your bio and other contact information is included in our show notes for any listeners that would like to. Lovely, lovely to connect with you and uh, find out more about you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It was fun. (laughs) And thank you. And you're very welcome. Well, there it is, listeners, for this episode. I trust you've got some fantastic, amazing insights from Nathan there. I know I did. I really enjoyed that. So I'll just leave you with our usual remember. True love starts with opening our hearts. Until next time, goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group Two Hearts Entwined or search Lynn Smith inspirational speaker at LinkedIn or email lynn at hearts-entwined.com. That's L-Y-N at hearts-entwined.com. Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.